You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Please find a Bible and open it up to uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is where we are together this weekend. And in that, let me tell you a story of humility. That's where we're going today. Let me tell you a story of humility. It may not surprise you to know that the single most taught virtue in the New Testament by either precept or example is the virtue of love. That is taught again by precept or example some 50 times throughout the New Testament. Again, that probably does not surprise you. What might surprise you though is that the second most taught virtue in the New Testament either by precept or example is the virtue of humility which is a close second place some 40 times occurring again within the New Testament. Now let me remind you at the very core of the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. At the core of the gospel, of course, is love. It's everything to God and should be everything to us. But I want you to understand also at the core of the gospel is also humility. Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, What mind are we to hold in ourselves, which is originally found in Christ Jesus? It's the mind where it says that Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing to the point where he became a servant and was obedient to the point of death. Philippians 2 says, listen, even death on a cross. Love is at the root of the gospel, but humility is also such a beautiful foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. You have seen this theological chart in the past. I want to show it to you again as we understand the reality of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, which is so embedded within Philippians chapter 2 and so embedded in our passage today In Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 11, let me remind some of you, let me show you for the first time this wonderful, incredible theology of what Christ did when he came and the gospel and the good news to become a man, to die and be raised again from the dead and be exalted, given the name above all names. Notice this. And his humiliation, remember, Jesus Christ was in perfect harmony with the Trinity, with God the Father and God the Spirit. No sin, perfect communion and fellowship with God in pre-incarnate glory. But here's what he did. He left the glory with the Father and with the Spirit of God. And he became a man. This is called the incarnation. Where the Word of God takes on flesh. The incarnation is astounding. This is why I love Christmas. Jesus Christ came to take on human skin. To be Formed in the womb of a woman of Mary to be born in a feeding trough of a manger in this obscure town to this nobody couple in this time where hardly anybody knew what was going on. The incarnation occurred. That is unbelievable humility by Jesus Christ. 
He allows himself to take on our flesh to be born. From the incarnation, he lives an earthly life. Think about it. God on earth subjects himself to a human body, but then goes and he has to learn how to speak. He's relying upon food to sustain himself. He has to learn how to go through life, even learning how to walk when he's a toddler. All the things that we did and have done. Jesus Christ, God, subjected himself to do this. What humility, what humiliation he did. The incarnation, the earthly life from pre-incarnate glory. But then he goes down to the crucifixion. You thought that was bad. You thought this is bad. He allows himself amongst those, again, I love it, I love it. The people who are hitting him, spitting on him, smacking him, scourging him, ultimately crucifying him, their hearts beat because Jesus Christ allows them to. They breathe through their lungs because Jesus Christ created every cell in their body. He's the one who allows them to exist. Listen, he suffers at their hands. At any moment he could call a legion of angels, but he doesn't because he loves. He doesn't because he's so humble. He humiliates himself to the point of death. Philippians 2 says, even death on a cross. The worst kind of death you could ever imagine. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, subjects himself to this level of humility. And at this point he dies, but does not state it. Amen, church? He does not state it. He is raised from the dead. And from that place, God the Father exalts him to the highest possible place in the name above all names. He is raised from the dead. He ascends to the Father. He is right now sitting at the right hand of God, the most honored position that could ever be given by God, given to his Son. And we await his second coming, where he will come and reign forever. Listen, this is the path, this is the beauty, this is the theology of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to see the utter humiliation. I want you to see the exaltation. Listen, you want to be like Jesus Christ? Then be like Jesus Christ. And if we're like Jesus Christ, humility is not an option. We seek after it for that which God exalts. We see today God exalts the humble Isaiah 66, but this is the one to whom I look, says God. He or she who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the person, that's the man, that's the woman that God uses and God breathes life into and God raises up to be used to give him glory. You want to be like Christ? We've got to be like Christ then. The example is right here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Andrew Murray said this about humility, and this is, again, the thrust of our time right now. Andrew Murray said, love this, love this quote. Humility is the mother virtue. Your very first duty before God, the one perpetual safeguard of the soul. Remember that. Write that down. Stick that in your brain. Humility is our protection. Set your heart upon it as the source of all blessing. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty gives favor to those who know they need him. He gives favor to those who humble themselves before him. He opposes the proud. Listen, listen. He gives grace to the humble. And this being true then, no wonder Jesus lived humility. No wonder then Jesus taught humility. And as we see today, no wonder Jesus told stories of humility. Because again, after all, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the, the humble, to the humble. Father, I pray right now as we have heard already from Isaiah 66 that the one to whom you will look is the one who is humble, is contrite in spirit and trembles at your word. As we're going to see today, Lord, 
that you will humble those who exalt themselves, Lord, but you will honor or exalt those who humble themselves before you. Oh, Lord, I pray in a world that is so filled with pride, oh, God, I pray you will convince us today of humility. I pray, Lord, there are some of us who have never fully be convinced of what you have said so clearly and what is true. I pray that happens now. This weekend, I pray, Lord, you will speak to us and change us in this area. The more I believe in the humility, the more blessing I will find in the Lord with satisfaction and joy and life and honor from God and the reason for living. It's all found in you. But we must get low, O oh Lord, in order to see you raised up and we must get low before you will then raise us up as well. Oh God, help this church to be like Jesus Christ who humbled himself to the point of death. And Lord, you call us to die to self as well that we might then know the blessing, the favor, and the joy again in you and in you alone. May it be so, Lord, such an important day today as a church and as a people for God. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Agree, church? Amen. 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 Luke chapter 14, verse 7, says this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he invited you, will both come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And here's the thrust of the whole parable, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice first our context of this parable in verse 7. Again, verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor and then he said to them. So here is Jesus telling a parable to those who were invited, but we might ask the question, invited where? That takes us to verse 1 of chapter 14. Look at verse 1. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were watching him carefully. So what we're learning here in the context of our story of humility today is Jesus has been invited to dine as a guest of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Now we assume from this context that this was a fairly important invite as this would have been a gathering of the elite of the religious society. Now, personally, I love this. I love how in verse 1, it says the Pharisees are watching Jesus. They were always watching Jesus, checking up on Jesus, trying to trick Jesus, seeing what he was about. They were so jealous. They were so obsessed with Jesus because ultimately they wanted his prominence. They wanted his importance. They wanted to promote themselves in his place, which is so interesting. So they're watching Jesus like a hog. But notice also in verse 7 that Jesus is watching them. Little side note right here, remember, loved ones? Let us always remember, nothing gets by Jesus. Nothing. Jesus sees everything, everything in our lives. He is watching. He knows. Make sure. You cannot hide from Jesus. You cannot trick Jesus. You cannot pull the wool over his eyes. Whatever you do, he sees. He is everywhere at all times. He is God. And he is sitting here 
as a guest to this dinner, and he is watching the behavior of the men before him. Notice in verse 7, it says that Jesus is noticing how all these religious elite are choosing, the text says, the places of honor. Now, in the early first century, in such a situation as this, the seat of honor would have been located next to the host or to the master. The seating, again, in Jesus' time in the first century, it would have been a shape of a U. So imagine a shape of a U. We've seen this in a lot of artwork. And at the bottom of the U, the host or the master would sit, and then the most honored seat would be either to his left or to his right. And then the next honored seat would be next down the line, and so on and so forth. The honor would decrease the farther away you got from the master or the host who is at the bottom of the U. And so this is what is occurring again within this parable and within this real-life story as these Pharisees rush in to seek their seat of honor. So what ended up happening is where you sat became your status symbol of importance. The closer you are to the host or the main person there, the more honored you were and the more important you felt. It's not that much unlike our weddings of today. Almost all of our weddings have a head table And the head table is filled with the bridal party and the tables next to them are often the parents or the grandparents. And so those who are most honored are closest to the center of the day, the bride and the groom. And it's amazing how in most weddings the honor kind of decreases the further you are away from the head table. I often find myself in the corner behind a pole somewhere, right? And that would indicate, I mean, frankly, I'm just just a lowly pastor, just the, the, the least honored in the room. And that's kind of how it works. And this is how it was working for sure in the story of this parable as well. So what happened was, Jesus is watching the doors open to this wedding feast and the men rush in because they want to take their place of importance closest to the host that they will feel better about themselves and other people will also think that they are very important also. So what I want you to see as we approach Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 11... I want you to see how much emphasis was placed on reputation and status rather than character. So much emphasis was placed on reputation and status as opposed to character. And I'm so glad that our society isn't like that. Oh wait, it's worse. But loved ones, loved ones, just just breathe in deep the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. I mean just physically... Take a deep breath, but spiritually now consider, consider our worth is not proven by our worldly status. Our worth is proven by Christ in us and the character and the fruit that he produces in us. Please, please, please renew your mind often. Jesus is not impressed with your status in life. Jesus is not impressed with your job. Jesus is not impressed with your privileges. Jesus is not impressed by how you dress. Jesus is not impressed by your deemed importance. Jesus is impressed with sincere and true character, a character that is being formed into his image. And that is precisely why then he goes out of his way to tell yet another story of humility. Why? Because humility is that which God blesses. God exalts the humble. So he tells yet another story to allow us to see that if we want the blessing and favor of God, it must be less of us and it must be more of him. 
So today then is a very important day. I consider a message like this once again a top five principle for the Christian life. We learned earlier this year wisdom is a top five principle. Humility is a top five principle. You're like, what are the other three? That's why we got to keep coming back to church, all right? Come back to church and keep finding out, and we'll see as we go along. But wisdom and now humility for sure. Listen, listen. The truth of today does this. Hear me. I'm not exaggerating at all. The truth of today separates the fruitful from the unfruitful. The truth of today separates the blessed from the cursed. The truth of today separates those who are filled with joy and those who are filled with misery. No exaggeration. Absolutely true based on the truth of today. And that's why then today I want to frame today's message with two life-changing principles of truth. Life-changing principles of truth because that is what they are. So here's the first principle of truth we see today. Life-changing principle of truth number one is this. Ready? I cannot win with pride. Life-changing principle of truth number one is I cannot win with pride. Look at verse 8. So he's watching these men sit down, and then he tells them this parable. He says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then, notice, you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. We learn here that a wedding feast was occurring. Now, a wedding feast was the most important Jewish social occasion of that time. And seating at a wedding feast was a very big deal. But Jesus here, his advice is very clear. Here's what you don't do. Don't take the best seat. And the reason is, is because what if someone who's more important than you comes along? Someone who is more honored. Someone who's been especially invited by the host. And if you take the most important seat, then the host will come up to you and say, I'm sorry, but you are in the wrong place. And you will have to be filled with shame as you took that seat of honor. And you will have to stand up. And now everyone else is seated. And you will have to begin to walk with shame down the line to the, text says, to the lowest place and you will take your seat in the, in the shame of all that are watching you now being demoted from what you thought was the highest down to the lowest. And notice Jesus is saying here, watch the pride and watch the self-promotion and watch the self-exaltation because it won't just be going from one to two. It will be going from the first spot to the last spot is what he's saying. And again, notice the man forced in great shame. Behind the Greek here, the phrase, see that, begin with shame? The Greek here is graphic, reinforcing great shame. This is the person who's walking away and humiliated and embarrassed and so lowered down in their own understanding of where they are and what's happening in that moment. So loved ones, this just in, what Jesus is trying to tell us is, I cannot win with pride. I cannot win with pride. And specifically in these two verses, It's the danger and the warning of self-exaltation, self-promotion, and self-centeredness. You and I must be convinced of this. Self-promotion does not fly within the kingdom of God. Self-promotion does not fly within the kingdom of God. And why? Because listen, listen. As we promote self, we inevitably begin to demote God within our lives. 
This is why the greatest sermon ever given in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, started with the Beatitudes. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. Who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Not those who promote themselves. To those who are poor in spirit. Listen, I guarantee you the poor in spirit are not about self. The poor in spirit are about Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit cannot believe there's a Savior who will save them from their sins. And they are destitute. They are broken in their sin. They are poor in spirit. And Jesus says those are the people that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. And this is why Jesus says you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. You humbled yourself and you will be exalted. This is the power of the gospel being seen through our lives. But self-exaltation, self-exaltation at its core is, I want the glory that only God deserves. Self-exaltation is ultimately, look at me, don't look at God. Or I heard someone say recently, I might be okay with God getting glory as long as my glory is right up there with God's. This is the danger of self this is the insidious sin of pride. This is the devastation of people, you, me, us, who seek to make this life about us and not about Jesus Christ. Think about all the ways we subtly or not so subtly promote self in our lives. I gotta warn you, this is probably gonna hurt. It'll hurt me a lot this week. Think of how we do simple things. Think of how we rush to the front seat of the car. Shotgun! No, no, I want shotgun. No, 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 I'm shotgun. Why, why, why? What's up with shotgun? I want to be the first one if we crash to go flying out of the car like a shotgun. (laughs) Why, why, why? Because I'm more important than you are. That's why. I want the best seat in my understanding of it because I want to promote myself. Step aside, sonny. I'm in charge. Promote self. Speaking of cars, think about how we can often buy cars that we can't afford Why do we do that? I would argue 99 times out of 100, the reason we buy cars that we can't afford because the ultimate motivation is we're trying to present a lifestyle that we want other people to see so people will think highly of us in some way that we think that gives us importance, that makes us feel special, and somehow increases our value in our lives so we buy things that we can't afford in order to promote self in the eyes of others. That's pretty sick. But we do it all the time. We care so much about what people think, so we will extend ourselves to hurting ourselves, so others will say, man, look at me, am I right, man? And all the guys that do that, it's unbelievable. What is it? Self-exaltation, self-promotion, self-centeredness. Think of how we push ourselves into positions of leadership. We force our way in because we think we know, we think we are, we think we have. And we say, forget what they say. I'm exalting self because I'm the answer to all your problems. Really? Really? Think of how we rush to talk and rush to speak and rush to be heard. And we interrupt others and we cut people off. Why? Because ultimately what we're saying is, you got something to say? i got something more important to say. you got something smart to say? I'm smarter. I believe my words have more value than yours. So you be quiet and let the king start talking. And we begin to promote self and self-centeredness and self-exaltation. We are taking the honored seat. And we got to be careful. Because if we're not careful, we'll be humiliated in the process. God will make sure of it. Think of how we butt in line. Think of how we butt in line. Why do we do that? We butt in line because we're saying to everyone else behind, saying, I'm more important than you. 
I just deserve to be in a better spot. I don't know, I don't know what your situation is, but man, I'm more important. My mind's more critical. I'm more essential. Get behind me. I'm going in front. How we fight for one car length in traffic ahead of someone else. Why? We want to promote self. It has to be. I need to get somewhere. My situation is more important. Man, this hurts. Think of how defensive we get. When someone criticizes us, why do we get so defensive? Because you're attacking me. You're attacking the promotion of me. How dare you attack the promotion of me? Because I want my promotion of me to go forward. And you're causing it to go backwards. Don't you talk to me that way. Think of how we rush to be recognized. Rush to be acknowledged. Rush to be thanked. This is the human heart. I will do something for you, and I will be nice to you, but you better say thankful to me. If you're, not, if you're not thankful to me, you don't recognize all that I've done for you, man. I'm never giving you anything ever again. What is that? It's self-promotion. It's evil. Think of our jealousy and our envy. Jealousy is I want what you have. Envy is I covet what you have. Jealousy is I want to be who you are. What is that? It's rooted in self-glory. Think of our tendency to control Why do we seek to control? Often it's to promote self. I want to be in charge. I want to make the the decisions. I want to be the one who's talking. Think of the inability to encourage others. Why are we so hesitant to encourage others? Well, what our sin says to us and our flesh says to us, if I encourage you, it's no longer about me. And I place value upon you. And again, I take it off of me. So we're so afraid to encourage because it elevates someone else beyond ourselves. Think of sinful anger. Sinful anger can often be promotion of self. I'll show you who's right. This has to be about me. I demand and anger comes out because our situation has been wronged. Think of how we reference self, congratulate self, highlight self. Think of how we're desperate to promote self. Think of Facebook. Oh, here he goes. But have you ever noticed, honestly, have you ever noticed just this insight for me like this week? Have you ever noticed that we hardly ever, I'm not on Facebook, but understand how Facebook works. How on Facebook there's hardly ever a picture of us grumpy, miserable, terrible hairdo that day, scrubby clothes, looking at our worst. It's almost always the happiest situation. All my friends are with me. Life is so awesome. I got this amazing big, I'm doing this. I'm, it's, I, we really put the best part of us out in front. Why? Because we're trying to present an image of what our lives are like. We want people to see, my life is amazing. I'm always happy. Nothing ever goes wrong. And you'd be jealous of what I got. Whether you're consciously thinking about that, it's amazing how quickly we say, here's my best side. Why? Because we want to promote self. Because we want to take the honored seat. Think of how insecure we are. Why? Because we care so much of how people view us. Because we care about our glory. Think of how we can't admit we're wrong. Why can't we admit when we're wrong? Because when we admit we're wrong, we're lowering ourselves before others. We're self-demoting as opposed to self-promoting. Think of how many jobs are beneath us. I'm not doing that job. Why? Self-glory, self-exaltation, self-centers. And then think of the times when we do the lowly jobs, but just so people will think we're amazingly humble. Wow. I understand when Paul said this, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Listen, listen. Who can deliver me from this body of death? The answer is Jesus, loved ones. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you go through that as I did, 
and how convicted I was. But listen, listen, this is, okay. when I go through that list, I am saddened, but I'm not depressed. It hurts me, but again, I'm not depressed. Because all it says to me is, again, the gospel is amazing. The gospel is incredible. My heart is so wicked, but Jesus has set me free, and I'm alive in him, and he loves me, and you still love me, even though every day I do all these ridiculous things inside of me, but you still love me and use me and cleanse me and want to speak to me and say, Lord, give me, give me a clean heart. And, and allow me then to live for you and to live for others and not for self. Lord, I want to take the humble position that you may exalt, not the honored seed that you might have to humble. What's happening here in this parable? Jesus is telling us this. As we look at our text, notice what Jesus teaches here. He says, the person who insists on self-promotion... If they are going to be used of God, the person who insists on self-promotion, listen, 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 they necessitate a lesson in humiliation. If you insist on yourself, if I insist on my pride, it necessitates a lesson of humiliation. This is why I cannot win with pride. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And how many men and women in time how many men and women, before they enter into God's hall of fame, they must first go through the hall of shame? How many men and women? The answer is every single one in one way or another. And why? Why? Because if God is going to use you, listen, listen, it can't be about you. If God is going to use you, it can't be about you. My favorite Tozer quotes is this one right here. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Think about that. Just look at that for a second. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly unless he has hurt him deeply. Why? Because he must come to the end of himself or herself before he or she understands what life is really about, who is really in charge, who really deserves the glory. So be brought. think of how many times in the New Testament, die to self, take up your cross, the grain of wheat that falls through the earth and dies. Decrease self, increase Christ, John the Baptist said. Humble, be exalted, be exalted, be humble. Everywhere, all Jesus is sending a message. If you want to be used of God, can't be about you. I believe this to be so true. Take arguably five of the most powerfully used leaders in Scripture. All of them devastated in self, but then used in Christ. Arguably five powerful leaders in Scripture. Moses. Moses, prince, 40 years in the wilderness, utter devastation of self, came to his end to prepare him then to be used of God so mighty. David, David, a, a shepherd as a teenager, exalted in the defeat of Goliath. But listen, after that, Saul's trying to kill him and kill him and kill him, chase him all over the countryside. How humiliating that is, how lessening of self. And then afterwards, his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, the devastation of self. And yet, in the end, a man after God's own heart, Daniel. Daniel, say, what did he do wrong? Listen, he was a captive, a slave to the Babylonians. And there he was in the humility and the humiliation of that moment, trusting in God, end of himself, and he was so powerfully used of God. Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. I'll never deny you. I'll even die for you. I don't know him. I don't know him. De wept bitterly as he turns as the rooster crows. 
devastated himself. And Jesus says, when I restore you to myself, and then Jesus ends up exalting Peter to be the leader of the church, to see incredible things happen through him. Of course, there's the Apostle Paul. On his way to persecuting Christians, his hatred for Jesus Christ, God strikes him down with a light of glory from heaven. He becomes nothing in an instant. And from that moment on, he is shown how much he must suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Every single person who's used of God, they must find out one way or another. It can't be about them. Loved ones, I truly believe this is for all of us. I told this story many years ago. I think it's time to tell this story again. Before I came pastor of this church, I was an associate pastor of a a good church in, in this area. And I found myself at one of the campuses of this church and, and things were going pretty good and I felt I was called to preach. I really had a burden for the word of God. Really wanted to be used in this way and had a lot of zeal and really seeking how, how's this gonna happen, when's this gonna happen? But I find myself, instead of preaching, I find myself jokingly referring to my title as the pastor of lifting boxes. We were in a school and what we did every Sunday is we set up and it wasn't a great kind of set up system and there weren't a lot of people helping but I found myself week in and week out basically lifting boxes, setting up classrooms, putting everything away to the point of often just so tired and sweating and all my own, whatever it is. I remember I used to whine and complain. Maybe not out loud but to myself. I was like, God, what's up with this? What's up with this? Why am I lifting boxes week after week after week after week? And I felt sorry for myself. And I was suffering from self-pity because I thought I had something to offer to the Lord. I thought something should be happening by this point and this time of my life. What I did not understand was the heart and the character needed to catch up with any level of gifting that God had given. So I went on for month and month and month. And about six, eight months later, there I was again kind of by myself at the end of the day, sweat pouring down my forehead, putting the last box. And I struggled with God and I wrestled with him and I complained to him and I whined and I felt sorry for myself. But it came down so many months where God was not in a rush because what does God want? He wants your heart. And it came to the end. And I found myself, as I pushed the last box into this room where everyone else again was gone, I looked up to the Lord, and I meant it when I said, I said this, and I sincerely meant it. It took so long to happen. I said, Lord, I thought you called me to preach. But if I'm wrong, and if you have called me to lift boxes for your glory, I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. It took months and months and months, but I meant it. I meant it. And what is God looking for right there? He's not looking for a special gift. He's looking for a heart of obedience and dependence and humility before him. And I kid you not, from that moment on, as I broke before the Lord and saying, whatever it is you want to do, you do it, Lord. You're in charge, not me. Your glory is all that matters. Wouldn't you know, in a few weeks or months later, those whole harvest things started to bubble forth. And here we are now. Why, why? Because God is interested in those who will trust him, lean on him, depend on him, and be humbled before him. That's the point of what's happening right here. You humble yourself and you get exalted. Listen, but you and I cannot win with pride. We cannot win with pride. And that takes us to life-changing principle number two. Listen, but I cannot lose with humility either. I cannot lose with humility. Look at verse 10 now. Verse 10, it says, But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he might say to you, Hey, friend, move up higher. 
then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Now, verses like this have shaped my entire life and ministry. I'm just honest with you. I think about this kind of stuff several times a day. And let me just say for the record, okay, let me say this is very important. And I say this on behalf of the elders of this church too. When it comes to humility, I, we stink at it. But listen, we believe in it. We believe in it. I'm never going to tell you I'm, I'm humble. I am not. I'm just not. The moment you think you're humble is the moment you've lost it, as has been wisely said. But we believe in humility. And any leader who will be used in this church better believe in humility too. We're not saying they're perfect in humility, but they better believe in it because God sure does. And so we say around here, when it comes to humility, we stink at it. But we believe in it with all we've got. Because God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And the truth of this verse that blesses me so much, within it are the secrets of the kingdom of God, which I suggest, sadly, so few take seriously. But Jesus is saying this. When you're invited in, take the lowest place. Now, not, not false humility, because that's just as, as, as bad. It's not, I'll just sit here and wait for them to recognize who it is and then they'll honor me. No, no, you genuinely desire to take the lowest seat because you genuinely see yourself in that way. And then Jesus says, instead of being shamed for promoting self, this is so beautiful, the master or the Lord will come up and say, hey, you, friend, it's time to move up higher. And when the Lord starts to move you into an honor position, you're going have you, like me, never been in a sporting event or, let's say, a hockey game, and you see these guys who are sneaking down into the Platinums? And you can just tell from a distance away you're kind of up there, and you're like, why didn't I do that, you know? And they're there, and they're kind of going down, and they, and they sit down right by the by front of the glass, and, they're, and you can just tell they're totally, like, this is, this is not their seats, whatever. And you watch from a distance, and sure enough, the ticket comes up, whatever, and he starts talking to them and just say, hey, can I see your tickets? And then the whole section is kind of watching what's happening right there, and the guys can look at each other and like, uh. And then they, they get up, their heads are down, their tails are between their legs, and they start walking out, doing the walk of shame, and they start walking away, whatever, and people are throwing popcorn at them and stuff, right? And, and just kind of making fun of them. Yeah, get back to where you belong. All that kind of stuff. It's a horrible feeling. It really is. And this happens in all sorts of circumstances ever. I'm not where I should be. I don't belong here. I've been caught. And the walk of shame begins in the utter humility. It feels terrible. But have you ever been honored in another setting where you were where you're supposed to be and all of a sudden that changes? I remember once sitting in, in, in a plane and, of course, I was in economy. That's all I ever said, and of course. And I was in economy, and the flight attendant comes up and says, Mr. Simons? And I'm like, yeah, you know? And I'm like, oh, did my passport expire? Like, what's going on? You know, whatever. She'd come with me, please. And I start walking up, kind of to the front, and then she has a, a seat in first class, and she's like, we're going to move your seat up to here. I'm just like... Is there a camera on right now? Like, what? Wait, kid, what's going on? Whatever. And it turned out there's some guy in our church who found out he worked for the airline. He found out we're on the flight and, and able to go there. I'm just like, man, it, it felt pretty good. You're walking up and you're like, yeah, this is, this is, this is pretty sweet. I remember also being in the airport once and a U.S. Customs guy came in. All right? U.S. Customs guys are pretty intimidating, don't you think? They're usually pretty grumpy. All right? No offense if you're here right now. Okay? Whatever. All right? <laughs> but the U.S. Customs guy comes up and I'm kind of sitting there with two other guys from our church. And he's like, Mr. Simons. And I was like, oh, no, you know? And I was all racking my brain. Have I committed a crime recently? Have I committed a crime? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on, whatever. He's like, come with me. I'm like, what is this all about? And then all of a sudden, he kind of turns friendly, and he's like, he's like hey, there's a guy who goes to your church, and he knew you were coming in. I'm like, how do people know these things, whatever? And he walks us past the big line of customs. Okay, now, I've done a lot of traveling. I, only got, I, I got two stories, all right? That's it, all right? That's all I got. That's all I got. The only two stories I got. But I'm telling you, it feels pretty good when you're in the place of, of humility, and then you're honored, and 
you're walking up, you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. As opposed to honoring yourself and then being humiliated. So many people in the church, man, it's about me. And God's like, you want to make it about you? All right, let's make it about you and let's see how far that goes. And the humiliation begins and the shame that is presented. But not that God doesn't love you, but he wants to get you to the place where it's not about you. But then when you're honored, I love this so much. If God decides to honor you, man, you're going. My favorite verses in scripture, 1 Peter 5, verse 5 on the screen right here. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Notice this. Hold yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. Notice. Under whose hand? God's mighty hand, strong, invincible hand. Notice this, notice this. This is, so, this is so important right now. At the proper time, his time, God knows he will exalt you. There's some young people here right now. There's some young men. It's amazing to me. There's, 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 there's a ton of people. But there's some young men here right now. You are so impatient. You have too high a view of yourself. You think you're God's gift to the church. And you would never, never say that way, but you act that way. And you walk around and you're like, where's my chance? These guys don't see where I'm at. How come I'm not it? Listen, listen, that's not the way to go about it. You will not win in that way. You will only lose. You humble yourself. You say, I got a gift to use. You don't think God knows that you got a gift to use? God gave you that gift. Do you think God wants that gift wasted? No, but he's not in a rush because he wants your heart to catch up with your gift. He will not exalt a character that is in the basement for a gift that is in the penthouse. He cares about heart and character and maturity and humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at the proper time. That's a word for a lot of us right now. When God says, friend, move up higher, you're going. No one will stop you. No one will stop him. That's a beautiful principle to live by. I think about it tons. When God chooses to authenticate, you are exalted. Do you trust him or do you trust yourself? How many men and women, I trust myself. I'm promoting myself. And they fail to humble themselves under God's mighty hand, waiting for his time to allow the true honor to begin. What does that look like, look like in your individual life, in your family, in your school, in your ministry, in your church, in your, whatever, whatever. God decides. It is an awesome, peaceful feeling of freedom to say, God, you know, you know, you care, you will in your time. In the meantime, I serve as faithfully as I can before my God in love for him and trusting, again, trusting at the proper time, then he will do what only he can do. Now, in this talk of humility, it's so important to clarify, I don't think humility means that we lack ambition. But listen, listen, listen. Let it be God's ambition. Notice in our parable, the host comes up and says, friend, move up higher. So there the honor begins. False humility or fear of failure would say, no, no, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. No, 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 let someone else do it. That can be a false humility or I'm just so afraid I'm going to fail that God is trying to honor you and you're like, no, 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 I'm too, I'm too afraid. That's no good either. Proper godly ambition says, 
I have some trepidation. I can't believe I'm being asked. But by faith, I believe God is doing it. And I begin to walk forward to see what God would have me do within this circumstance. Faith responds to the invitation of honor with humility, yet with godly ambition. The secret is, let God do the exalting. Because God gets it right every single time. This is so needed in our day. Henry Blackaby has this quote, which I love so much too, and here's the difference. When the world exalts you, you are the one who receives the credit. When God exalts you, others will praise him for what he has done in your life. You see, you see, when God does the honoring, God gets the glory. When we do the honoring, when we promote ourselves, we get the glory. And so God's not afraid to honor people when he knows they are in the place to be used of him. How beautiful that is. Let's look at our final verse, verse 11. Notice this. He wraps it up by saying this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The truth here, loved ones, this is an essential kingdom principle. It reveals who enters life and who enters death. Okay? Listen, listen. So this, so this isn't just, well, I want to avoid shame in my life. Well, I don't want to take the honored seat, so I'm not embarrassed. It's more than that. Inherent within this text is the gospel itself. The humble are those who are repentant before God. They receive everlasting and eternal life. The proud are those who ultimately say, I don't need God. I'm God. They reject Him. They will go to eternal death. Just recently I saw... The Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade. Do you know that, was, that movie's 25 years old now? 20, I had that one of those moments where I'm like, 25 years? Like, what? I couldn't believe it. I was just trying to do the math. I'm like, really? I'm that old? I'm like, no way. Like, 25 years ago, this movie was made. It felt like it was like yesterday. Anyways, anyways, I'm watching the movie getting over my heart attack of I'm aging. Right? So, so I'm watching the movie, and at the very end of the movie, they had that scene where, Indy's going for the Holy Grail. And he gets to that first place, that first kind of booby trap place. And, and the clue that his father found out for him was, the breath of God, the penitent shall pass. Only the penitent shall pass. Only the, and he said, only the penitent shall pass. Only the penitent shall pass. And at the very last second, he says, the penitent, the penitent, those who are humble, who kneel before God, and kneel. And he kneels down and he avoids his head being cut off in the movie. And he says, I'm through, I'm through. I listened to that this week and I'm like, that's a cool scene in the movie. That, that's a truth for life. Only those who humble themselves before the mighty God will ultimately live. The humble are those who said, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. The humble are those who say, I bow down before the Lord. I bow my knee and I confess with my tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. The humble are those who say, I can't do it. Jesus Christ, you must. The proud say, I'm doing it. And in the end, literally, they will die. The proud will die but the humble will live. This is the root of the gospel. This is what we're seeing within this text. This is why the humble are exalted in salvation. And think about how are we exalted in our salvation. So Christ was humiliated then and exalted. We find humiliation and being humbled in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that day will come when Jesus will return 
And what do we know? We're children of God. What do we know? We're sheep that belong to the good shepherd. What do we know? We receive the inheritance of Jesus Christ. What do we know? We are exalted and given the right to become children of God who will dwell with Jesus Christ forever and ever in new heavens and new earth. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God be the glory. That's a good deal, loved ones. That's a good deal. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's what we go for today. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, I start off today by saying, Lord, in a world of pride, would you convince us of humility? The starting point right now is to say, are you convinced of humility? The choice is yours, loved ones. The choice is mine. Every day, every day, a hundred opportunities, the door of humility and the door of pride. You choose the door of pride, you lose. You choose the door of humility, you win. As that old guy in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade movie, as he said at the very end, that night that was there for hundreds of years, he says, choose wisely. And that's our exhortation today too. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads before the Lord even now. In a moment of reverence and seriousness. If you're like me this week, you will say, Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all the times, small or big, where I seek to promote myself. The way I speak, the way I think, the actions I take. Oh God, it pains me at times to even look within and to be revealed. Wow, that is a serious issue. And yet, Lord, then I see the gospel. Then I see the love of Jesus Christ. Then I see the mercy and the grace of God. And then I say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that the people of this church, the families, the leaders, the individuals, the young and old, that we will be found to be convinced that I cannot win with pride, but I cannot lose with humility. So, Lord, even now as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, a symbol of this humility and exaltation of Jesus Christ, Oh God, I pray you cleanse us, prepare us, and use us, oh Lord. Even now a chance to humble ourselves before you, to give you glory with our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.